0: So the showing up and the giving the 100% are just really the core essence of being able to give yourself the opportunity to figure out what you're doing well to and to learn from it and ultimately to adjust and improve. We talked about being adaptable and being nimble and meeting the market where it's at and you know, kind of not being a chameleon, but like being able to be agile and adjust when you need to. Well, you don't know what areas you need to adjust if you're not controlling the metrics at which you're measuring, if that makes sense.
1: Welcome to the Freedom Chasers Podcast, where we bring you interviews and discussions that share the stories, successes, goals, and dreams of real estate agents and real estate investors pursuing a life of purpose and freedom. All right, guys, today we have Tyler Wilson on. This was a professional baseball player for the Baltimore Orioles. And this guy transitioned to real estate and did 50 deals in his first year, 5-0. So he was smoking it right out the gate. He's moved on to do some things towards his freedom and to, for his family. And so we're going to get into those. But Tyler, thank you so much for coming on the show and for having some discussion with us. And if you'll take us into what was it like being a professional baseball player? And then take us into how that, that translates to real estate
0: yeah absolutely matt thanks for having me man so um quick high level background on my story is i grew up in a baseball family had a dad who played professional baseball um was fortunate to have one of those relationships where i just wanted to be just like my dad and so um was Blessed with a little bit of talent to play and a father who pushed me and challenged me to get better, and ended up playing four years at the University of Virginia, 10 years professionally. Learned a lot throughout um, all of those experiences, most of which were not of my own doing. Um, I learned a lot from the people around me. I learned a lot from watching people around me. Um, and that was one of the biggest lessons that I took away of many that I hope that we can dive into here was that I learned so much more from the people around me that were doing things at a high level than I did um, from my own. Uh, successes are my own failures. When you're in a position where you're in community or in the same room as people who are highly talented, that's not earth shattering. A lot of people, you know, we've heard that if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room, get into a new room, level up, level up. And so I got really lucky to be in a, in a career where every single person that I was surrounded by was elite. You know, they had been funneled to the very, very top of that bottleneck Um, And we're in the major leagues, and I got to watch what those guys did day in and day out, the things that worked for them, and the things that didn't. Um, And it gave me just constant feedback on what I could be doing better, maybe something that I'm not going to be great at doing. Um, And just in general, what the way baseball relates to um, real estate and life is just so many so many different lessons. Um, Control what you can control. Uh, Be focused on the things that motivate you And having a clean mirror. Um, When you get to a point where things start to level out and you're having a ton of success, how do you take that next step and not get complacent? how do you hold yourself accountable? Um, and I'm just gonna keep rattling off questions, but there's a few things in how I got started in baseball, was fortunate to play as long as I did, learn a ton. And then I've been able to translate that into um, a couple years of successful real estate experience.
1: Question that's coming to my mind. I mean, you're at the professional level. You probably have a lot of opinions coming at you on what you should do with your, your batting swing and all of these different things. Like how do you filter who you take advice from when you take advice?
0: Man, great question and probably not going to be the answer that you're expecting. So I think that baseball revealed to me that life is, it's kind of a, a fully complete circle. It's a flat circle. Everything always comes back to a certain point. When I might look at my baseball career, you start out as a kid, get into high school, whatever it is, you're getting started in your endeavors and you're learning the fundamentals. You're learning the building blocks. How do I do these things well so that I have a foundation to build off of moving forward? If you try to go to the, you know, level 500 course right out the gate, you're going to fail, fall flat on your face, be disheartened, so on and so forth. Well, when you get, when you start getting to that higher level and you start really drilling down, fine tuning, um, you know, the the minutia of your day to day, whether it be, you know, I'm going to change my elbow a half of an inch or I'm going to open my foot up just a little bit here and there, certain tactical things that you're tweaking, you can get so bogged down in the little details in the things that you feel like you need to master, that you forget the basics. And I learned later on way too late in my career that if I wasn't brilliant in the thing in the basics, if I wasn't brilliant in the things that got me there and stop trying to be all things to all people and take all of this different advice from these different directions, I was just getting confused. It's shiny object syndrome left and right. And there's so many different things that you can start incorporating into your day-to-day, so many things that you can start incorporating into your, into your business that you forget forget. forget what got you there in the first place. You forget what made you great. And so my goals as an evolution from, you know, the day that I first wore a uniform in college to the last day that I wore a uniform at 33 after 10 years of professional baseball got so much simpler. You know, I used to have goals in the beginning of, you know, I want to win 15 games, strike out this many people. You know, our team gets to the playoffs, wins the World Series. Like those are, those are great, great things. But I learned later in life um, that those are simply byproducts of being brilliant in the little things. And so I simplified my goals in my last year. And this is, I think, some tactical things that the three goals that I had when I was in the major leagues was that I wanted to show up every day and give 100%. Sounds simple, right? It's not easy to do. And I would challenge everybody that's listening and people that I talk to, I challenge them like, did you actually give 100% today? That doesn't mean you just show up or, you know, you worked out hard or, you know, you went at it for, you know, a couple hours and you were productive. Did you hold yourself accountable throughout the entire day to not let something go by? And that's a yes or no question. Only you know the answer to that. And when you get to that level of accountability where you can actually say, no, I didn't, I need to get better tomorrow that will start yielding more and more byproducts um, and more and more successful results. The second thing was I wanted to get better at something every day. Wherever your feedback loops are coming in that I'm not doing this great or you know I have room for improvement here, focus on that. You might be working on the same task for the next five years. You might be really focusing on how to be consistent in your follow-ups. I need to be consistent in how to plan events better every quarter, whatever it might be. If, it's, if you're committing to that every single day though, there's opportunity to get better. And then the last goal that I did was just to be an exceptional teammate. We wanna be the best leader that you can be. You wanna be the best you know, partner that you can be in your business. You wanna be the best you know, teammate you can be for your clients that you're serving and that you're leading. And if you can't commit to doing that every single day, then you're in the wrong business, one. But two, you need to take a look in the mirror and see what you're doing great. So those were the three things that I did. And then the last last piece, as I ramble on you here, Matt, you got me going. Um, Was that I would take advice. Some people would say, don't take advice from somebody that hasn't performed at the same level as you have or hasn't gone somewhere that you haven't already gone. Um, You know, there's certainly some truth to that, and that people have gone before you. They've learned more, they've experienced more, they've done more. You got to, you glean wisdom from those guys. But I'll tell you that when I was in the big leagues, I was learning from kids that were pitching at UVA. I was learning from kids that hadn't even sniffed, you know, the, the level that I had achieved because just because they aren't where you are yet, doesn't mean that they don't have insights or wisdom that they can offer to you. So I think. Um, you know, when you open the door up to that, to having a lot of voices in the room, you got to get really good at discerning what's good and what's right for you. Um, and then that would lead me to a point to say where that's where I think having an important kind of accountability partner, a small, really tight knit group that you trust, that you can filter all those ideas through, helps you to really decide this is good for me or or maybe this isn't so much. And I got so much advice from people that were Hall of Famers and did successful thing. It didn't work for me. I'm like, I am listening. I'm not you, you know, I can't do this thing the same way that you did. But, um, so it doesn't necessarily mean what they've done, but how much that it can apply to where you are in life.
1: Yeah. So let's go through these points one by one. So you talk about showing up every day and giving it a hundred percent. What was your metric? Was it kind of a loose, like I just kind of ballpark, how much effort I gave? Was it like a journaled, like, write down like I gave 92% today. How did mm-hmm. you think about that accountability?
0: Yeah, good question. So, when I would show up, I um part of that showing up every day and giving 100% was I was so committed to my routine. Right? so maybe for for an agent it might be uh, you know time blocking or whatever my cadence is of my touch points my thirty six touch system or my my follow up or whatever it is. I was so drilled down on what my day to day looked like that I knew i I had a, at least a minimum expectation at least I got to go through the exercises of doing x, y and z today, you know the day after game day you've got x hours of rehab, weight training, shoulder mobility um getting doing all the things the day after to put your body back together and if i did or did not do that well it's pretty simple did you show up did you execute it's binary black and white and again uh doing the same thing so if i had my five day routine you start and then five days later you start another game i was a starting pitcher so those that five day rhythm that i had my cadence was measured out constantly. And so every time I would start, I knew the same things that I were going to do for the next five days. So what that did was it took the thinking out of it. It took the guessing out of it. When I showed up, I knew what I was doing when I showed up to the office that day and for the next five days and the next month beyond that. And so one, it took the, it took the guessing out of it. So I knew my expectations and my ability to execute, but more importantly, it gave me, um, It took all of the variability out of it so that if something wasn't working, I knew that I needed to make a change I had done and I knew when and where I needed to make a change. Let's say halfway through the year on day three or four of that, um, you know, rotation of that cadence, I'm just exhausted. Well, I'm I'm going too hard on days one, two, and three, you know, I need to, I need to throttle back. I need to adjust those rhythms so that I can be fresh on game four and most important or on day four and most importantly on start day. So the showing up and the giving to hundred percent are just really the core essence of being able to give yourself the opportunity to figure out what you're doing well to, and to learn from it and ultimately to adjust and improve. And we talked about being adaptable and being nimble and meeting the market where it's at and, you know, kind of not being a chameleon, but like being able to be agile and adjust when you need to, well, you don't know what areas you need to adjust if you're not controlling the metrics of which you're measuring, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah. And one of the things I'm picking up from you too, is like, it was because of the routine that you become familiar enough to understand how your body should work in those moments, right? Like if you're constantly switching up your routine you don't know why your body gets tired you don't know why these things but because you do the same thing every week you know okay i can i can knock this down 10 percent or bump this up two percent it's only because Mm -hmm. of the system that that a lot that affords you that Mm -hmm. opportunity
0: yeah that's exactly right because i mean if you're just throwing stuff at the wall and i'm going to try this today i'm going to try that tomorrow and i'm just going to keep doing everything it's the whole like um being busy, just being busy. You know, that old, that old adage of people like, well, I'm trying this. I'm, you know, I'm making my cold calls or I'm doing the door knocking or wherever it is I'm trying to facilitate business from. Well, if you have no cadence or no method to that, you don't even know what's working. You might have a great month and all of a sudden I have no idea why. And then you have a bad month where like, I I did the same thing. I was just as busy. I logged just as many hours where, well, it's just a lie that being busy, you know, the whole Um, You know, activity breeds activity. Well, in in some ways, that's true. Sometimes you just got to put your nose to the grindstone and go. But when we're talking about refining your business and actually growing it, leaning it out and making it running your business like a business that 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 does not apply.
1: Yeah. What what is the difference between single double a triple a players and the pros? Hmm.
0: That is a good question too. So for folks that don't know baseball, high level, you get drafted, whether you're out of high school or college, you got to work your way through seven different minor level, minor league levels, a couple levels of rookie ball, uh, short season, a low, a high, A, double AA, a triple a, and then ultimately make it to the major leagues. And so it's a filtering process. You play good, you get promoted, you play good, you get promoted. You're at constant competition with the people around you. Um, and I was fortunate to, you know, they say the odds of making the major leagues, um, they relate the percentage to you going to a safe and putting in the four-digit code correctly on the first try or hmm. the odds of going from playing amateur high school college baseball to making the big leagues. So that's not a – I didn't say that as a horn toot, but just to give some, you know, clarity on the difference between the rookie ball player and the major leaguer. And so when I looked back – um, on the guys that I played with and against who were the highest level major league baseball players. Um, they obviously won do things at a high level, but everybody in professional baseball has talent and potential. Um, the first thing they did was everybody just does it more, consistent, more consistently that's again, not a, not earth shattering, you know, people that are the most successful in business do things at a high level, more consistently than their peers, which is what ultimately over time rises them to the top. But the people, the guys that I played with and against who were the all-stars, you know, the, the big name guys that you see when you think baseball, I think, you know, Mike Trout or Otani or Bryce Harper or Manny Machado. I was fortunate to play with and against those guys. And they, and, in hindsight, again looking back, there were three things um, that they all did extremely well. The first thing was um, they took care of themselves first. So, when I say that, it doesn't mean that they were. It doesn't mean that they were selfish, uh, from a. In a sense that, like, you couldn't talk to them, or they were unavailable, or they sat in a corner on their own throne and didn't let anybody come to them. No, that's not what it meant. But what it does mean is that they knew what they needed to do every day to be successful. They recognized that they needed to take care of their own business first because of the role that they had on the team to be able to take care of the people around them. If they didn't get their early work in, if they didn't have a certain degree of coaches investing in them on their the, the, min, the finer details of their game then they weren't going to be the players that they are so they took care of themselves first and they were actually you know selfish in that way which in you don't get it unless you're walking right alongside it when you see those guys walking out onto the field and they don't talk to the fans or they're not stopping and signing autographs when they're on their way into the outfield it's not because they don't want to talk to the fans some of them some of them probably don't want to but (laughs) it's because they've got business to take care of like they've got to take care of themselves first and then they'll tend to all of those things afterwards so that was the first thing the second thing they all knew exactly who they were there were no secrets on who the best players on the team were there were no secrets that They were expected to lead the team into the playoffs. They were expected to, you know, bat clean up, hit a certain batting average, um, lead the team emotionally. They knew who they were, and they didn't pretend. And they weren't they weren't afraid of it. Um, And they they championed that crown that they had been given from a sense of leadership and responsibility. And they took that seriously every single day. And then the last thing that they all did was when the lights turned on. They showed up when the games got the the biggest games, the most important moments. And I've got so many different stories that I can share about witnessing this, that the most important guys, the talented guys that we're talking about when it was the big moment in the game, they showed up, whether it was getting the strikeout with bases loaded in the bottom of the ninth to close the game or the guy standing in the box who wasn't afraid of the dude standing on the mound and rips one in the gap and wins the game. They The best players always showed up lived for the moment and thrive for it. And that's where I, each of those things relate different in different ways to, to being a successful agent, but especially right now, as, you know, transaction volume starts to contract and, you know, market share is becoming more competitive, like the lights are getting brighter. So the true, the best agents are going to choose to show up based on a lot of the other things that we've, we've already talked about and will continue to unpack. But the lights are the brightest right now. And, and if you're afraid of the moment or you're afraid you're pulling back on your business instead of embracing it and stepping in, then those other people are just going to keep rising and you're just going to keep falling back into the dark. So clearly these
1: stars are not scared of the moment, at least not in the way that others are. Are they happy? Mm -hmm. Like what, what, Mm -hmm. what emotions do the stars have in, in tough moments? Mm -hmm.
0: That's a good question. I think that I've seen a wide range so I've played with, um, guys that know the Lord and are content in their identity and who they are and are superstars. And I've played with guys, um, that were captivated by, um, the attention and what their rep- reputation was, um, in the ways of the world. And so I've seen stars act differently, um, from that sense, uh, you know, one story that jumps into my mind, I don't know if you've seen the, uh, there's a Netflix series on elite golfers. Uh, it's called uh, I think it's called follow through or um, mm. I don't know what it is. But anyways, they tell a story um, about Tiger Woods, who, again, like I love listening to stories about the people who are the greatest of all time at what they do and just the way that their mind thinks. Um, Tiger doesn't know the Lord. So he's kind of the the ladder of this option here in thinking that. But Tony Finau tells a story who does love Jesus. Tony Finau is walking down. Um, shows up, he's, he's teeing off with Tiger Woods, uh, at the first tee of a tournament. Tony Finau's loved Tiger Woods his entire life. He's been an idol. He's, this is like a dream come true to be able to be playing in a PGA tournament with him as they, uh, um, as, as partners or whatever they call it pairing, they both tee off and they're walking down the first fairway. Tony Finau looks over at Tiger and starts making conversation like saying, man, I've been, I've been waiting a long time for this, you know, a good shot I'm excited to play all day with you. And that Tiger just looks over at him, doesn't say a word and just keeps on walking and it's all business. Like he, I mean, what a, what a burden for that guy to carry that he's been the face of golf for so long. He's obviously been in the media for a lot of different reasons for so long. It's under a microscope. Um, And so, that's, those are, those guys truly have a burden that they can't let people in. They feel like they can't let people in to know the real thing because it's going to expose something or it just leaves them vulnerable in different ways. And so, you know, those guys have a a heaviness and a weight that they treat their jobs like a job rather than a vocation. And I define vocation as something where you're where your passion meets a need meets a, a need in the world that allows you to serve others and so when you start treating things like a job instead of a, a vocation that you get to do um, it would just it would hold on people i mean i played with guys who were making had nine figure contracts and and they were just not happy because they didn't have any clarity on what their motivations were. They didn't have any clarity on what their passions were. It had become so much about getting to this level, signing the contract. And then what, then what comes after that? And now you're left holding the bag. There's this, the guy who I'm blanking on his name. I'm telling these stories. I'm not telling them well, but there's a guy whose financial goal, when you talk about the next, you know, 10 years of his life, he wanted to own the New York jets. And, um, and he, he, but he says the way that he tells a story that the worst day of his life would be the day that he bought the New York Jets because he's like, then what? Then what? Are you what? T- talking about Gary V? That's exactly it. Yes. Yeah. So you've heard this before, and mm-hmm. then like, like, and I'm forgive me if I'm telling it wrong. You correct me on the details, but. What it just speaks to is like, man, if you're, if it's always this moving target, if you don't have clarity in what you're passionate about, you don't have clarity in what drives you or what you're working for or towards ultimately every day, the why, you know, the cliche why, then you're ultimately going to get to these bottom line results. And then the needle's just going to move on you. And then you're just chasing your tail your whole life. And so I've, I've lived that. I mean, I personally felt that feeling that the, the day that I walked into a major league locker room for the first time wanted to do that since i was six years old and then you kind of have that feeling where you walk in and it's like well what next like now i've got all these i've been working my whole life to this goal you don't just get in an in an instant to be able to move the needle you know like and that there's some self-reflection and like maybe i should have been thinking like i want to be an all-star or i want to win 100 games in the shit whatever it is but i didn't you know i I didn't want to do that and so now you're in a space where you accomplish everything you've wanted and then the bar moves on you, you you can't just change pace. You can't change direction and now start thinking the same thing again. And so what the point of that is it boils it all back down to the passion and purpose and why you're setting out to do any of these things in the first place.
1: Everyone who listens to our show knows Tim and I are passionate about obtaining financial freedom through real estate investing. We also know that everyone's situations and goals are different. And while there are programs out there that show you a path to financial freedom... Many of these programs are just too cookie cutter and don't take your personality, situation, and desired outcome into account. Think about the number of times that you've watched a guru online and tried to do the exact same thing as they did but had nowhere near the same results. You are not alone. When I got started, I was continually paying for courses and getting only partial results until I discovered the path that made sense for me. The results prove this out. Most online course creators have let us in on their dirty secrets that 90 to 95% of their students never complete their course and achieve their desired outcome. This is not something that we're okay with. The benefit of working with Tim and I is that we are interviewing between five and 20 people every single week. We have accumulated hundreds of seven-figure strategies and gotten inside scoop from these successful entrepreneurs. We're able to work with you to pick the strategy that will best fit and then help you create the custom plan to take you quickly into financial freedom. As a former math teacher, I always taught my students that the fastest way between two points is a straight line. If you want to get rid of the many curves in the road that can make the journey longer and more costly, then go to coaching.freedomchaserspodcast.com and book a call with us. And let's get you on a straight line path to freedom. Yeah, 100%. And then coming into the, the second point of getting better every single day, like, hmm when when you think about that, do you think about how to better yourself in every area, in one area?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think that if you start trying to better yourself in too many areas, um, you get bogged down, you get distracted. So, what I would do, or my commitment in certain um, phases or periods of seasons, would be to commit to a single a single task, right? So if you're if you're thinking about building a foundation, if you misplace one stone along the way it misaligns everything else and then ultimately you're going to have to come back to where you got that wrong in the first place and uh and replace it and so i mean there were times where especially in the latter half of my career where i would spend weeks and weeks focused on one task when i say that i would show up to get better every day today i'm focusing on the execution of a two-strike slider in the dirt when there's not two strikes, like get super detailed and say, I wanna be able to do this with my eyes closed every single time without fail so that I know that I can move on and now add another feather to my quiver or another arrow to my quiver. And it d- doesn't mean that when you master something, you neglect it and you move on and you never think about it again. Cause again, it all, it requires constant maintenance, which is where that first point that I made about being brilliant in the basics becomes so critical. If you don't like mastery, we've all heard about the 10,000 hour rule and doing things over and over and over again until you effectively become a master at it. The same thing is true with all the little details that you're investing um, or from a time standpoint that you're investing into your day. If you, don't, if you don't master it, if you don't commit to doing it and you just give up on it and you're never gonna be great at it. Now, maybe there comes a time where you're like, that's not me, you gotta cut bait. I'm not a, I'm not a cold caller. I'm, I'm not a door knocker. It's not successful. I'm not getting any ROI on it, but I've committed to it for a certain period of time. That's fine. You fully vetted that out. You got better at that single thing by eliminating it as a variable in your business. And you've moved on in the same way. like it, So sometimes it's addition by subtraction in that way. But until you fully vet something out consistently every single day, you won't know if you're, if you're getting better, you're getting worse.
1: What's it like trying to hit a major league fastball?
0: Well, I was a pitcher. You and didn't have so, to do it too much, right? I And I played in the American League, so I did have a couple interleague series. Uh, or whenever we played interleague, then um, we, I would bat. And I didn't like it. <laughs> I didn't like it. I much preferred to be on the delivering end of that pitch as opposed to it's. it is – not easy i think they say from the time the ball leaves the pitcher's hand to the time it hits the um hits the mid it's like 0.35 seconds is a 95 mile hour fastball so this the actual the anatomy of your eyes when a batter is looking at a pitch you actually only get two freeze frames of where the ball is prior to committing to hit it you see the ball like you know, 20 feet out of his hand, then 40 feet out of at the pitcher's hand. And your mind has to calibrate where it was at the, each of the two pictures to try to guess at where it's going to be at contact point. And so for that reason, I'm out and yeah. I would like to be the one delivering the pitch. <laughs> right. No kidding.
1: <laughs> and so when they pitch to people like yourself who are pitchers, do they just throw fastballs almost every single time, just knowing, or, or they mix it up all the same?
0: Yeah. I'm, some pitchers are better hitter than others, better hitters than others, but they, I mean, there's so many data points in the, you have statistics on everything. Yeah. I mean, you have a billion different things that you can evaluate, but when I would, so when I would step into the box, they're like, this guy's only ever hit like 10 times in the big leagues. Like, and he's got no hits. Yeah. I'm going to challenge him. I'm not going to overcomplicate the thing. Like, let's keep it simple. And yeah. So they just throw it right by me every time. So. So you talk about being an exceptional teammate.
1: Like, what does that look like for you inside of your real estate business? Hmm.
0: Yeah, I think the way that it relates mostly to real estate is, I mean, one, practically, if you're on a team, like you're actually working on a real estate team, um, being a genuinely good partner. So one of the things about the, the unique things about professional baseball is that, especially in the minor leagues, as much as it's a team sport, you're individually measured. Everybody has different contracts. Everybody's compensated differently. And in the minor leagues, if there's 30 guys on a team in AA, one or two of them are going to get promoted to AAA. And so, and especially as a pitcher, there's 12 to 15 pitchers competing for one spot to get promoted. So it's the irony of a team sport with an, an, in, an inter-team sport with intra-team competition for success and growth. Now, I saw I've seen people handle that well, but way more often I see people get consumed by um, you know, the ambition and the greed and the selfishness of that. Now, when you're talking about putting food on the table for your for your family and um, you know, being successful in your career, you gotta be a little bit, you know, greedy in some ways and say, you know, I'm I'm gonna take care of my family, but I'm gonna do it the right way. I'm not gonna be rooting against my teammates. So I mean i think that was a little bit of a sidebar but what it looks like to be a great teammate in real estate i mean starts there i mean truly truly being of the abundance mindset that there's plenty to go around that when somebody is in need and they need your help to truly love thy neighbor to care for them support them however you can um you know within means respectfully so but to to not think that it's a zero-sum game that your partner, your teammates win is your loss, but to truly collaborate and care more about the greater good than you care about your own bottom line line metrics. And now I, I say that and I get that it's a, that's a tough kind of pill to swallow because it means, you know, it's a, we're all competitive and we all wanna have a successful business and, you know, increase our number of transactions, increase all of our metrics so that we're seen as successful. So that people, you know, we want people to work with us. We want people to, you know, admire what we do because our brand builds more business and builds more influence and creates a bigger stage. Well, I mean, that's all those things are true. But again, I bring it back to this foundational approach where if you're committed, committed to building your business based on relationships, caring for your neighbor and doing things the right way, even if it comes at a cost to yourself, those are things that people will never forget. And those are cornerstones that will build a a brand and a business that will will succeed no matter what's going on in the macro economy.
1: 100%. And so the wealth inequality gap in professional sports, particularly baseball, is probably greater than it is in America by a large factor, I'm guessing. I mean, the Mm. minor league players are getting paid peanuts and Mm -hmm. the big contracts in the majors are nine figures, right? Like that probably I'm guessing adds to the temptation for people to to get crazy selfish.
0: Yeah, well, and the this I'm glad you brought that up. So, to again save the the tirade or the soapbox that I could easily get on when I was for reference, my first paycheck in a ball when I was in the minor leagues um, was six hundred dollars. Now you get paid every two weeks, so for the month my net income was twelve hundred dollars. Now you get paid six months out of the year. So quick math on that is your net income is seventy two hundred dollars when you're in when when I was in A ball, that doesn't work. Like that is not a livable wage, and so um, the way they build their business is that they will, from a baseball standpoint, is they based on your draft position, they give larger signing bonuses to people who get drafted earlier naturally, they have more talent, they're more desirable, they pay them more. And so the bonus babies, quote unquote, the people that get picked in the top 10 rounds can use that lump sum to kind of draw off of as they, um, you know, bide their time or continue to climb the ladder and do that for the rest of the 90% of the organization that doesn't have, you know, a significant signing bonus in there, you're choosing, you're effectively paying to play and effectively paying to try to reach your goal and make a successful, um, career out of what you're doing. So you make one day the league minimum and the league minimum in the major leagues is like, I think it's 750 grand now, you know, and you're, you're in the big leagues for 150 days, uh, ish a year, 200 days a year ish. So you're looking at call it 3,500, five, four grand a day, just being in the major leagues and made that in three months. In the minor leagues and so you talk about that wealth equity gap it is significant so where it's important though is when you are in that position in the minor leagues everybody goes in full knowing again the odds of making it are very very slim like you have to be completely committed and all in to make it happen because it's not just getting promoted once and dominating one level or another i mean you got to do it through seven levels and continually to outpace people so you know, my first apartment that I'm living in, I was not one of those bonus babies. I was a senior side, came back to college, um, graduated after four years. So I had no leverage. They were like, we're drafting, we're going to give you whatever money we want, because it does not matter. You're coming here. You have nowhere to go. And my first year, uh, first, my first stop in professional baseball, I was sleeping on an air mattress in the dining room. Of an apartment of a three-bedroom apartment where three other guys were living in their room i was paying them a hundred bucks just to have a roof over my head they were bonus babies they had dollars to spend and i was 22 at that point um my first season i was dating my wife who i knew that i wanted to marry and but was very cognizant of the fact that i'm not in a position to marry this woman when i'm sleeping on air mattresses under dining room tables And so it forces you to kind of have this note, this moment of do you do you really want to do this? Because if you don't get out now, right, because it's not just going to get handed to you. It's not just going to fall into your lap and sleeping on an air mattress in a dining room is not the life that you're equipped for. It's not an honoring life to your bride. And it was what I felt like burying my talents if I was just gonna be content with staying there. And so you're forced at odds to say, how be- do I really wanna do this? Am I really willing to do this? And, and it was motivating. Every night when I would come home and that's where I laid my head down at night, I didn't wanna be there anymore. And so every day when I went to the field, those were the, like the goals that I've already vetted out with you. If I didn't have, If I didn't say yes, that I did each of those three things successfully when I lay down on that air mattress in the dining room it was time to pack it up and go home i was constantly reminded of those things so the way that relates to the to successful real estate agent trying to build their business is if you you know a lot of times success kind of dilutes your appetite your hunger for success or your hunger for doing things the right way and all of a sudden you've got all these things going on around you that are going well that are self running you've You know you've got the income that you need the business seems to be doing great well if you're not holding yourself accountable to those three things or whatever your goals are in the same way as if you were sleeping on an air mattress under a dining room table then you're not doing it the right way you're doing yourself a disservice and one, you're not you're not loving your teammates. You're not honoring the people around you because you're not giving them your best effort. And then as believers, you're certainly not honoring the Lord. You're certainly bearing your talents and not honoring him above all things. If you're not given 100%, whatever you do, do it for the glory of the Lord. And so um, that wealth gap that you're talking about motivated me even before I really knew what it was. Mm-hmm. You know, you're happy to just be there with a uniform on and your name on your back. And then all of a sudden, when you start realizing that this is a, this is a profession that's supposed to be a vehicle for me to make an impact in life and to provide for my family and to make a difference, then you start looking at it through a little different lens. How
1: easy or hard was it for you to transition your mindset and your skills into real estate? Hmm. The,
0: uh, the first couple, um, of months I'll say so I ended my career uh in November of 2020s when I threw my last pitch I blew my elbow out got a mm-hmm. nice little scar to prove it and then um we had our third child as soon as that season was over so I actually spent a couple of months chewing on things unpacking a lot of what we've just talked about um kind of making sense of what a lifetime in the game was and then figuring out where I wanted to invest um, or take those lessons into. And I always wanted to get into real estate um, for a couple of different reasons. One, because I was just fortunate to see what, um, what type, what it generated from a wealth building standpoint when I was playing um and you know not being being gone on the other side i played in asia for three years like being on the other side of the world and still seeing what the assets could do in terms of generating income while i was playing so i kind of had like a knack for just thinking about from a business standpoint and then also the combination of i was never home when i played baseball you know you'd leave in february for spring training you come home in november october november you've lived in hotels and apartments for 10 months out of the year you come home you're there for two months so like that that passion of building home and creating that, um, that feeling of home was deep inside me. So I knew I wanted to get into real estate in some way, and I cared about people. I wanted to shepherd them. So these skills um, of the, the, the oversimplified kind of sets of three or groups of three that I've shared with you instantly translated into real estate on so many ways, because When you simplify things like that and you think about the mindset that you have or the approach that you're taking into anything, it's always applicable, right? Like whether I'm, you know, whether I'm coaching my boy's t-ball team, go Rivercats, or I am, you know, helping a client through a transaction or, you know, I'm, dealing with a major development acquisition that we're trying to, to grow and scale. I think about the conversations. I think about my day-to-day business and I think about my mindset in the same exact way because how you do anything is how you do everything. Again, not not new stuff, but like it, whether I was playing again in the major leagues against these people who were way, way more talented than me um, or I'm just here coaching my kid's t-ball team. I approach it with the same degree of intensity, the same degree of focus and the same commitment to doing something great. And, you know, the, the biggest lesson is I've talked so much about the people, the things that I learned from other people, um, and the great athletes, men that I played against, like, I'm not, if you can't see on the screen, all right? I am not six, five and 225 pounds like some of these guys in the major leagues are, that are just absolutely um, huge and gifted with talents from the Lord. Like I have been gifted, I'm not undermining that. That was hugely so, but I did not have any business competing with the majority of those people there, let alone for 10 years. And I quickly realized early on in my career that if I was gonna beat these guys, I wasn't gonna be able to do it physically. I wasn't going to step on the mound and throw 100 mile an hour fastballs by people like some, you know, a Garrett Cole or a Justin Verlander or Jacob DeGrom, the guys who we all know. I'm not that guy. So, where was my competitive advantage going to be? It was going to be in my consistency. And every day I was going to do all of these things that I've already talked about better than even those guys. I was going to do it better than them. And so um, it gave me the chance to improve and it gave me more than anything when I stood on the mound. And A-Rod or David Ortiz or, uh, you know, Ichiro stood in the box that I had the confidence that I I was more prepared than they were. Like they might have more talent than me and they might be, you know, destined for Cooperstown and I'm destined for Charlottesville, Virginia. But in this particular moment, I am more prepared than they are and I'm going to give them my best bolt. And at that point, you can play with so much freedom in the same way in your business when you're going into a listing appointment or you're going into, you know, a a team meeting and how to lead your team and how to grow your business. If you're more prepared than anybody else in the room and you've done the due diligence and you've invested the time and committed to your simple goals, then it's there's freedom in that. It's easy. And like, we overcomplicate things so much. We start trying to incorporate new, new avenues into our business. We're trying to do all these different things, take these different courses, try a different course of action, plan of attack. We just gotta keep it simple. And I mean, I know I've thrown a lot of information out that maybe doesn't sound simple, but it all points back to having a lot of clarity in what motivates you, what you've had success doing, and just being committed and obsessed with consistency and doing small things.
1: Kind of reminds me of the interviews that baseball players and football players have after the game, you know, where it's like, "Hey, I'm just focusing on the basics. I'm just thinking about, you know, the next game. I'm not thinking about the future." And it's like as a fan mm-hmm. as a kid, you're like, "Oh, come
0: on, right, right. Something yeah. else is really going on." But it's really the truth, isn't it? No doubt. Well, cause it's full circle at that point. Like when I remember being in college or even younger in the younger minor leagues, trying to like carve out a path and figure out who I was, you think you've got to do so many things you think you've got to have just to use pitching terms. You think you've got to have a cutter and the perfect sinker and know how to throw a 12, six curve ball with a change. Like you think you have to have all do everything incredibly well and throw a hundred miles an hour. And That obviously doesn't exist. Like there there are maybe a handful of people that can do that, but not everybody can do that. And so when the people take, when I've seen people take the biggest leaps, myself included, professionally, is when they recognized that they didn't have to start being all things to all people. They had not have to be great at everything. They just recognized what they are exceptional at and they embraced that. And then they got, and then they mastered it. So it was the process of, Trying a bunch of different things, figuring out what you're really good at, and again knowing knowing what it is, and then mastering that sounds so simple. But the, if you talk to a minor leaguer, or you talk to you know somebody that's just kind of setting out on their journey, they're going to give you a way way more of a long winded answer than the guys that you're hearing talking on the microphone in the big leagues who have resimplified things. They've tried all the samples, they've taken all the taste tests, and then they've realized that all of this stuff. It's not, not everything is meant for everybody, but I know what works for me and I've mastered that. And so I'm just committed when they say I'm committed to the simple stuff, it's simple stuff in their head that might be really complex to, you know, the high schooler, but they're brilliant in the basics because they have an incredible foundation and they're not letting all of those voices that you asked about earlier, Matt, come in and they're they're doing the same things at a high level over and over.
1: What's the vision for your life and business in the next 12 to 18 months?
0: Yeah. The, uh, the exciting feat in the next 12 to 18 months while well, we are having our fourth baby in September. So that's number Congrats. one in terms of what's most excited. Thank you. We, uh, have four year old twin boys, a two year old daughter. And then we just found out last night we were having another boy. So, mm. um, we embrace the chaos in the Wilson household. So that is, um, the number one thing. And I say that one as a, as a lighthearted, um, reference, but truly because um, when I think about 12 to 18 months, I've gone through so many exercises of, you know, where do you want to be one, three, five years from now? How are you trying to grow your business? What what is a perfect exit look like in five years from now and trying to button up all these things? And those are super useful exercises, not undermining any of them. Um, but when I think about 12 to 18 months from now, I think about what life looks like with my family. And I think about what it looks like to be in 12 months from now. I hope I'm coaching the river cats again. And I hope that, you know, we have a healthy baby boy that is taking a nap right now. And, and this is certainly not the answer that you get from other people who are such high level thinkers on your podcast to this question. But I think it's so critical for us to remember that when we think 12 to 18 months out from now, most, we always in our, in our minds, we go to about our business, we go to, you know, our bodies, you know, with some type of diet or routine that we want to get on, get in on, we think about, you know, our relationships, but we forget to think about where do where do I want my family to be in 12 to 18 months from now? Where do I want them to be cared for? Do I have, you know, do I have my plans in place for them? Are they taken care of if I, you know, fell off the face of the earth tomorrow? Um, Do I have certain times in my calendar blocked off to where I can take each of my kids to do special things so that they know that daddy loves them? Do I have date nights blocked off with my wife? Do I have, have I prioritized our family vacations and created enough freedom to where I'm not distracted when we go away on those trips and I'm not checking my phone or my emails or things like that? So my answer to your question is when I think 12 to 18 months, you think about a lot of different things, but the most important thing when I think about blocking off stuff are all those things that I just said and that that is my number one priority. Those are the big rocks that I fill my bucket up with and then everything else is just sand around it.
1: Amazing. Tyler, thanks so much for coming on sharing about your life and your business and I like how the life is the priority which is often at times, as you say, not what we hear on this podcast. So I think that's really sound advice. So guys, if you're out there listening, write down something you learned from today, whether it's the mindset or the strategies that he used to get him to the highest level, because many of which are the same things that will get you to the highest levels of success in your life, in your business. Write down something you learned from today, share it with somebody you know, so they can hold you accountable. Freedom is acquired one action at a time. And if you take steps day by day before you know it, you too will be living a life of freedom. Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next episode.